he returns. And we're going to see Jesus make mention of this, that there's going to be another supper. And that supper is going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb when Jesus and his bride, the church, are gathered together or joined together. And I long for that day. But here in Mark chapter 14, I want to set the the scene here a little bit to remind you. Jesus has come in through the triumphant entry, triumphal entry where people are just really excited. But now Jesus isn't really keeping his end of the bargain in their mind. They thought he was the Messiah. He was going to overthrow the, the Romans. He was going to take care of things. He's not really doing that. Instead, he goes to Bethany and has a party. You know, I mean, it's it's just not me- meshing up. They liked him when he like turned over tables in the temple courtyard. They don't really like him when he's not doing things to get rid of the Romans. So it's going to be interesting. The same people who are crying out, you know, Hosanna are going to soon be turning on him and crying out crucify. It's the same city. It's the same setting. And it's it's astounding to see the change that happens. But here over the few days, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, all of the religious leaders are out to get Jesus now. And now they have a way to do it. And his name is Judas. And so what we saw in verses 10 and 11 is Judas accepts the bribe to betray Jesus. So this is done now. The the die is cast. The time is coming. The days are moving quickly. The hours are ticking down. It's almost time for Jesus to be arrested, to be tried, to be crucified. That's coming quickly. So Jesus isn't really out and about much. He's been in Bethany. But the Passover feast is coming. And so his disciples are going to come to him and set the stage and say, where do you want us to go so that we can prepare the meal and we can have the meal together? And Jesus has a plan. And his plan is to send two of his guys into the city because the Passover feast is supposed to be taken inside the city walls of Jerusalem. Okay, So they're supposed to go into the city and they're supposed to have this meal. And so he sends two of his guys into the city because if he had gone in, he would have been arrested in that moment. So Jesus' plan plays out here, and this is the way it plays out, beginning with verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So either... Jesus has planned this ahead of time, which is incredibly possible, right? Or Jesus is sovereign and knows what guy is carrying what jug of water and where he's going to go, and he's all prepared it beforehand, which is absolutely the way Jesus works, right? Really, it's just the issue now of Jesus is intently not pursuing this himself. He's sending his disciples to do this because he has something else to do. And that is to institute this supper that is going to last until he returns. He wants his kingdom to come in the end. And in the end, it's going to be this great feast. But he's going to institute a supper that is going to change all of redemption history. From being focused on the Passover and the Exodus when God's people were in slavery and the Passover feast was eaten and the blood was spread on the doorframe so that the angel of death would pass over those homes and then the people were freed from their slavery in Egypt as being that being the central event of all of redemption history to now his death 
and his resurrection being the central event of all human history. This supper represents that change. When we come together once a month and we take of a little piece of bread and this cup, we are not just going through some religious exercise. We are obediently proclaiming that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the center of human history. That everything has changed because of what he's done. And that's what he's instituting here. So he knows what's to come. Jesus has already allowed himself to be anointed for his death and burial. Mary came in and the nard that we learned this week in our small group smells like feet. Was, was used, so you can imagine what the house smelled like at that point. Knowing what to come, Jesus allowed himself to be anointed for his death and burial, but he still needs to institute this meal, this sacrament. And as he moves towards that time, he's going to utterly surprise his disciples. The most surprising thing he's going to do at that night is not going to be wash their feet as we read about in other Gospels. It's going to be to change the Passover meal, which God has instituted, in order to give it a new meaning. And that meaning is something we carry with ourselves today. So before we get into this, I want to give you some background, and then we're going to take part in what Jesus has instituted as this Lord's Supper, as a sacrament of the church, as a way that we experience his presence by obeying him and remembering him and rejoicing in him. But I think some background on the Passover would probably be really helpful for you. What it looked like for a family to gather in a home and the head of the household would lead them in this Passover feast. So what would happen is there were what were called Hillel Psalms. And they're Psalms 113 through 118. You can read them in your Bible today. And these were psalms that were used and recited or sung in various stages of the celebration. What would happen is the head of the household would begin the Passover celebration with a blessing. Both a blessing of the festival and a blessing of the, the family and of the first cup of wine that they would drink. Then the meal was brought in. So they had one cup of wine. The meal would be brought in. It would be unleavened bread, bitter herbs, greens, stewed fruit and roasted lamb. The bitter herbs were meant to help the people remember the bitterness of the slavery in Egypt, something God had delivered them from. The lamb was to remind them of the sacrificial blood that was placed on the doorpost to save them from death. At that point, the oldest son would ask the question, why is this night different than other nights? Why is this so special? And the head of the household would explain and retell the story of the Exodus, of how God delivered his people. And then they would offer God praise through the Psalms and because of his deliverance of his people from Egypt. They would drink a second cup of wine, and the, house, the head of the household would take the unleavened bread, he would bless it, he would break it into pieces, and then they would dip it in the bitter herbs. This is a change that Jesus is going to make. Okay, Instead of dipping it in the bitter herbs eventually, he's going to follow it with a cup. Okay, So they're going to dip into the bitter herbs, but then he's going to come back with a cup and he's going to change the meaning of the bread and the cup. And I want you to notice that, what he does. Okay, He would then distribute the bread to everybody else and they would dip it in the bitter herbs. Then they would eat the lamb, they would have a third cup of wine, and then a final prayer of thanksgiving. Then they would sing the last of the psalms 
They would drink a fourth cup of wine, and that would be the end of the ceremony. You're going to see a lot of these things as we read through the passage, as we go through this and we take part of this. Okay, you're going to see a lot of this in Mark's gospel because he wants us to see clearly that what Jesus is doing is establishing his kingdom by taking the old covenant and replacing it with his new covenant. An old covenant that was written on stone and was all about going through religious idealism and the things that you would just do in religious festivals. Replacing that with Jesus. Jesus becomes the ideal. Jesus becomes the celebration. Jesus becomes the bread and the cup. Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. Jesus takes all that was shadow and prophecy and makes it true. So in this Passover meal that Jesus has with his disciples, that we now take part in symbolically and through his presence 2,000 years later, Jesus is telling us that everything the Bible says about God being a deliverer is true in Jesus. Everything that the Bible says about delivering his people from their sin and from their bondage is true in Jesus. Jesus becomes the substance of everything we've ever wondered. He becomes the one that takes every promise of God and makes it yes. And he does that through this. Through this meal, he establishes that. So I want us to begin with the bread, and then we'll take the bread. And then I'll come back and I'll talk about the blood and the cup, and we'll take the cup. And then we'll follow Jesus' example here. Look at what he says. It's pretty fascinating. Verse 17, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now Jesus is getting into downer zone, right? Now Jesus is going, they're celebrating the Passover, remembering that they've been delivered from bondage, and Jesus goes, one of you is still in bondage. One of you isn't being delivered. You're going to betray me. He goes on to say, um, well, they, they begin to ask this question. They begin to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Isn't that just a fascinating question? Like you would think, loving Jesus, your first reaction, and they're going to have this reaction later, would be, No, not me, right? It's not me. I'm not going to betray you. It's not me, Jesus. I know it's not me. It's not in my heart to betray you, Jesus. And instead, because of their depravity and their sin, they at least have some sort of understanding that they are capable of anything. And the question they ask is, am I the one? Begin to look at each other. They don't look at it. Is it going to be that guy? I bet you it's Peter. He's always flying off the handle. Or Judas is the guy with the money. Sure, it's him. No, they begin to ask questions about themselves. I think this is an incredibly foundational moment for us to realize that when we come to this table, this is not about us looking at other people and wondering if it's them. When was the last time you asked the question, Am I the problem? Is it I? Because apart from the grace of Jesus, not only will we run like the disciples will later, we would betray him in a heartbeat. Think Think back to your last week or two weeks, the opportunities you had to stand and speak on behalf of Jesus into someone's life. Did you take it? Is not silence the same as denial? What about in your life, in your private life, in your private thoughts, in your actions around the home? If people saw them, would they say, that's a person who's honoring Jesus? Or 
Maybe the problem is we need to stop today and we need to say, is it I? Am I the problem? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He's coming to the Lord's table. He says, some of you come in an unworthy manner. We come with unconfessed, unrepented sin. We come with evil between us and someone else. Bitterness. And I think it would be appropriate for us now, before we move any further... To ask ourselves the question, is it I? So I want us to do that for just a moment. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. Come to the Lord's table in a worthy manner. Say, is it I? Am I the problem, Lord? Search me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. And then throw it back at the feet of Jesus, knowing that it's fully and finally dealt with in Him and forgiven, and you're freed from it. So let's just bow our heads for just a moment. Let's do that. Let's, let's ask, is it I, Lord, what is, what is my problem today? What, search me, Lord. Show me my sin. And now repent of it. Now call it sin. Turn from it. Trusting in the spilt blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus and the life of Jesus the perfect obedience of Jesus. Father, I thank You that we do not have to live in shame and condemnation anymore because of what Jesus has done fully and finally for us. I pray that right now You would free us to be able to take this bread and this cup in a worthy manner, one that would honor You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it I? And He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Jesus is going to set people free. And there's one guy at the table, one of his closest confidants, is not going to be set free. I want you to know today is a day where you can be set free. But it takes turning from your sin. Is it I? And if it is, turning to Christ. Oh, that we would be people who would do that today, trusting in Him. He continues on. And as they were eating, He took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them. That is not unusual. It's part of the Passover feast. We already read about that. But this is when it gets unusual because then He said some words that didn't make sense to the disciples. What he should have said if he was following the rules of the Passover feast is he would have said something in Aramaic like this. This is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. But instead, he said, take it. This is my body. I want you to see what he's doing here. He's replacing... All of the affliction with his body. He's going to take the affliction on himself. He's going to take all of the need, all of the needy. Take, eat of me. He's going to take all of your need upon himself. The Passover lamb could only be a part of the equation of freeing you from slavery in Egypt. It could not forgive your sins. He's going to take your real affliction and your real need upon himself. He's going to take all that was partial and He's going to make it whole. All that people had been freed from for a time but now found themselves in slavery under Rome. Think about that. 
They had been freed in the most important moment in their history from Egypt, and now they were basically enslaved to Rome again. And Jesus comes along and says, I'm not freeing you from Rome. I'm freeing you from sin. So if you're here today and you're in affliction because of your sin, take of Jesus. Take it. Eat. eat. He wants you to have. Take this is my body. If you're needy today, this meal is for needy, afflicted people who need a Savior. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm not, I don't need it, I don't need anything, this meal isn't for you. Because He's giving us a gift. He's not just giving us stuff, He's giving us Himself. Look at that, look at what He's doing. Take, this is my body. He doesn't want you to have partial anymore. He wants you to have himself. And I praise the Lord that what he has given us is not just forgiveness, but freedom. And that is found in Jesus. So that now we can be those who are no longer, no longer afflicted by sin and death or by slavery. We're instead set free. So as Jesus has said this, he's transforming this Jewish Passover into a distinctly Christian institution from that point on. So that 2,000 years later, we can know this fact. He is with us. Every time we take the, the bread, we can say, take, this is my body. He's telling us, he's with us. He is with us. He is with us. Today we have freedom. Today we have forgiveness. Today we have Jesus. So as we come to the table, I pray that it changes the way you take the bread. That we remember his death until he returns, but we remember that he is with us and he's promised his presence with us. Take, this is my body. Father, I pray that today we would honor you by taking of this bread, remembering our need of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come and serve the bread.
His body broken for us so that we might be made whole. Taking our affliction upon Himself so that we might might be set free. Take. This is my body, He said. Let's do this in remembrance of Him. Father, make us whole, we pray. May we May we trust in the presence of our Jesus. May we find strength in the presence of our Jesus. And may we find life in the presence of our Jesus. And we might abide in Him and He in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue, I just want you to immerse yourself in this. I want you to picture yourself. You're not sitting in neat little rows. You're lounging on the floor or on cushions with a low table. Not like Da Vinci. Okay? Don't think that. Okay? You're, you're lounging around and you're eating this meal and all of a sudden you're sitting up straight because Jesus has just changed the game. Right? By what he's saying right now, you're, you're now listening. Maybe you've done this since you were a child and you just kind of, it's a special night but you kind of go through the motions. Right? It's kind of like Christmas is great. Once you get through your presence, you just wish everybody else would finish opening up their presence. Right? So you can get to whatever's next. And maybe you find yourself in that position and maybe that's the way the Lord's Supper typically is for you month after month. It's special, but it's kind of like, okay, let's get through this. Why are those deacons taking so long getting down the aisle? Let's... Today I hope that changes. Because for the disciples, this would have been a moment of just sitting up straight and going, what is he doing? Take, this is my body. And then he says this, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. That's not unusual. But what he says is unusual. He does the same thing, and then he institutes a new reality. He infuses a new reality into it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There's going to be a feast. And the next time Jesus is going to drink anything is in that feast. All right, It's kind of the idea. So he's, I'm not going to take any fruit of the wine, or no fruit of the vine, no wine until the feast when I'm in heaven, when my bride is with me. In other places, in other gospels, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. My father's house are many rooms, right? So this is a reality. He's going to a place we're going to join him and there's going to be a great feast. But here he's instituting something to help us endure for however long it takes for him to come back. So that we will remember his death, remember what he's done. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Exodus 24:68 in sacrifice and in this time of the instituting of the covenant, this is what we read. Moses took half of the blood and poured it, uh, put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded. Catch what they respond. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. We just know that the rest of history did not bear that out. Moses then took the blood. Now, this is quite a worship service. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The old covenant that Moses was ratifying there was ratified by blood. 
And what Jesus is saying in this Last Supper is the new covenant that is in him is going to be ratified. It's going to be sealed by his blood. And we all must be washed in it. We all have to be covered in it. We all have to be cleansed by it. This new covenant is going to come about when he dies on the cross as the true Passover lamb, the fulfillment of all the Passover lamb was looking forward to. This is the new covenant in his blood. It's what the bulls and goats had done in the past is now going to be done fully and finally once for all in Jesus. So by uttering these words, my blood of the covenant, Jesus is saying that the new major turning point in all of history is going to be his death. Everything is going to hinge on his death and his resurrection. All of redemption now hinges not on what happened in Egypt, not on what happened at Mount Sinai, not on what happened at any other point in all of the important things that we read in the Bible, but at the cross and the resurrection. This is my blood of the covenant. 2,000 years removed from this night, we get to take part Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we get to take part in redemptive history. In God's plan of redemption. Because this is meant to remind us of what He's done so that we will go proclaim all that He's done. Every time we take this cup, we're to be reminded that Christ is the Lamb and that He's coming again. That's such a glorious reality for us. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, the gospel is shown to be true in our lives. That Jesus is with us. That He paid the price once for all. That's what we're declaring. And so as we take the cup, let's remember this is the blood, His blood of the covenant. His covenant, this new covenant. And He has made himself the center of life itself. We need nothing else but him and what he's done for us. So let's take the cup together.
you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, you are not only forgiven, you are free. No more condemnation. And that's all because of the new covenant in Jesus. That we are held now by Him and His grace. We are under grace, not under the law, because of the new covenant found in Jesus. And yet we are free now to obey. I love what is said in Exodus when the people said, We will obey it all. Now we're free to actually obey it because Jesus has set us free. So let's celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. Let's remember His blood shed for us, the blood of the covenant. Let's do this in remembrance of Him. Father, use this cup in this time to draw us into more dependence on You, to free us from our own independence. And to make us submissive and loving and glorifying to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. As I close, I want to show you what happens next. And then we're going to spend time doing this for just a few moments today. This is what he says. You can see it in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn. So guess what we're going to do next? We're going to sing a hymn. It's like living out the Bible. They went out to the Mount of Olives. We're not going to do that. Um, And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He quotes from Zechariah there. And it comes true. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. We'll get into that a little next week. I don't want you to see this. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And evidently he shamed the rest of the disciples because they went from, is it I? To, I'll die too if that's what it takes. It's not going to take very many verses before they all run. It's not going to take much time before they all scatter. And I want to remind you, that apart from the grace of God, we would scatter too. In a heartbeat. Apart from the grace imparted to us by Jesus, we would run with our tails between our legs. We would scatter just as quickly. And they came to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden on the Mount of Olives. And they all said that... And... and He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he went a little further is what it seems to say. And he took with him Peter and James and John, those who had seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, those who had been a part of some of the more pivotal moments in his ministry. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He was scared at this point of what was coming because he knew though he had had the four cups of wine during the Passover feast to signify the freedom of God's people from slavery. Now the fifth cup of God's wrath was going to be poured out on him on the cross. He was going to have to take another cup. And going a little further, well, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. He asked them to stay there and he went a little further and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour 
might pass from him. And in those days, people didn't pray quietly and silently. They prayed out loud so everybody would hear what he was saying. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And I want you to know, if your prayer life, you ever feel like God says no? He does that. He said no to Jesus here. Except for this part. Not my will, but your will. He said yes to that. Should inform the way we pray today. There's no way for the cup to pass from Jesus. But the will of God, you want God's will, he will always give you that. And he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. You can underline this and go back to it every day. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We're going to unpack some of this next week. But today, as we come out of celebrating this new feast that's been established for 2,000 years and will continue until the day there's a new feast to take its place, the wedding feast of the Lamb and the Bride. Right? When that feast comes, until that day, we're going to keep doing the feast we just had. But today we come and we pray. And we're going to spend a few moments praying. And as we pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because your spirit may be strong, but your flesh is weak. The same is true of me. Oh, that we would pray that way and remember that Jesus paid it all for us. That even in our weakness, he is strong. So we're going to stand and sing and then we're going to enter into a time of prayer and then we'll be dismissed in just a few moments once we're done praying as the Lord leads. We could be here for a while. We're going to pray. I mean, we're going to let the Spirit lead us and we're going to pray. I want us to be honest with the Lord and honor Him today because He was worthy of it. Let's all stand and we'll sing together.